Well, amen. Welcome and good morning. Glad to have you, and thank you, worship team. And uh, I don't know if I've ever acknowledged this from the pulpit yet, but uh, it was largely our worship team, our production team, and then a a handful of volunteers that did the refresh on our worship center. And so I just want to take this time to give them thanks and uh, go ahead and give them a hand. They had... They'd estimated that this was going to, or they hoped to get it done by Christmas and got it done in a couple of weeks, and so that was amazing. I also want to thank any veterans today. We do so appreciate your uh, sacrifice, willing to, willingness to serve. Um, and then I wanted to just talk about the membership class, and so just to make a distinction between uh, last week we had our first ever pizza with the pastor, we're going to have those each quarter, and, and the goal of that is just to, if you haven't met the pastor, his family, then to, to come get to know us and uh, talk and get to know your families as well, whereas the membership class, that's an opportunity for you to hear about the church if you want to join the church, uh, and maybe you're not sure and you want to ask some questions and, and figure out if this is the right fit, if the Lord is leading you here, but also just to gain some information about uh, the history of this church, the beliefs of this church, things like that, or maybe you have some specific questions about faith, it's a good opportunity for that as well. We'd love for people to pre-register, but if you haven't pre-registered for the membership class, we'd still love you to come if that's you and you're not sure if that's your next step. We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and we are talking about uh, today, really, anger. I'm calling this mic drop moments, and uh, that's to give it kind of a trendy title because pastors are supposed to do that nowadays. Um, but mic drop moments, when I say that, I'm not talking about the mic drop moments of if you've seen one of those singing competitions and all of a sudden everybody was like in awe. And you, I'm sure you've seen those social media posts where it's like, you wouldn't believe how good this person sounded, right? I'm not talking about those. Those are a little healthier, maybe, maybe. The real mic drop moments I'm talking about is sometimes what we're seeking when, when we want to just go at an adversary. That maybe you've seen this on, on social media or the news, and if you watch a news station, then one thing that they do is they'll, they'll pit one side against the other, and they'll just go at each other. They'll just, they'll just argue and fight, and, and really it doesn't seem like they're seeking the truth. They're seeking to win. When I was in college, um, first time I went to college, I, uh, I was in a, it was a writing arguments class. And in this writing arguments class, I had this professor be very clear about the distinction between an argument and a fight. An argument is two people, pre- uh, or two sides at least, presenting their case in search of the truth. A fight is an attempt to win. And I think we've lost some of that distinction nowadays, that, that there's a distinction between reasoned people coming together to have a conversation to seek truth as opposed to just trying to win. And then I think this can carry forward into our daily life that, that sometimes we just want to exert anger and we want to win and, and we're frustrated about many things. And so today we're really talking about the trial of anger. And that's what the book of James has been all about. It's been about trials. Look at James chapter 1. Look at verse 2 with me really quick. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So you could have joy and maturity in a trial. It's possible. Verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. So you could have wisdom in a trial. Look at verse 12 now. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, 
he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You could have a crown of life at the end of a trial. So you have a purpose and a hope for enduring even a very difficult trial. And then last week we talked about the immutability of God or the unchanging nature of God and that we can go back to him. It's, a, it's very important that God is unchanging because we can go back to him time and time again and he is the same God. He, he, he responds the same. That if, if there's holiness in our life, it is pleasing to him. If, if there's difficulty in our life, he's waiting for us to turn to him and he's not like we humans sometimes are where, where maybe sometimes I'm helpful or sometimes I'm forgiving. God is always consistent with his nature and that's important to us and today we're talking about this trial of anger and really anger and hasty speech and in context I'll just remind you that the people that James is writing to are dispersed Jewish Christians that they're scattered and not only are they scattered I uh, I don't think I put in your notes but I want you to hear a little bit of what they're dealing with. He's already talked about poverty versus people who have wealth. But James chapter 5, verses 1 and 6, you don't have to look it up if I didn't put it in your notes, but James chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Come now, you rich people, weep and well over the miseries that are coming on you. Now that can make us nervous. If we've accumulated any wealth at all, that can make you very nervous. But it's not just wealth he's against. It's the type of wealthy people. So verse 6 says this, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. They have some persecuting wealthy people among them. So picture, picture this in your situation. If, if you're a person who you just don't have anything, you've been dispersed, you're not in your homeland, you're, you're vulnerable. There's wealthy people above you, but not benevolent wealthy people, persecuting wealthy people. And so you feel powerless. There are few things as frustrating as feeling powerless, that I have no control over my life. I have no control over my resources. I don't have any resources. I don't know if the next day I'll have something to eat. They are dealing with frustration. And maybe a frustration toward God. I wonder if you've ever been there, that, that you're angry at God because some things in your life have not worked out how you wish they worked out. So the Jewish Christians had a right to be angry, and some were willing to act on it. And today, I want us to understand our anger and also understand a better way. So I want to begin with this question, why do we get angry? Why do we get angry? I want you to think about yourself for a second, the last time you were angry. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe this morning there was something angry, but, but maybe it's been a while, or maybe it's the thing you struggle with a lot that people could present all sorts of sins, that maybe some of them struggle with greed or lust or, or gluttony or slothfulness or, or whatever, or lying. Maybe yours is anger. Maybe that's the difficulty that you have. Well, why do we get angry? What's the source of the emotion of anger? Why do we do it? The last time you were mad, what caused it? Anger is actually quite revealing about us, about our human nature. In this world, the reality is this, that we have limited power. Things happen outside of our control. Things cause us to be afraid or to want revenge or justice. Anger is an emotional response to a situation that could only happen because we are limited. 
acting in anger is an attempt to regain some sort of control and power. And anger can make us feel powerful. I uh, had watched this documentary. I'm not in any way endorsing it, but I watched it. And it was the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. I'm sure some of you have seen it. But it talked about Michael Jordan and his competitiveness and, and how oftentimes I think he was a pretty angry teammate. But he also was always just looking for an edge. There was this game that he played against the uh, Washington Bullets, and it was in 1993. And he played against this guy named LeBradford Smith. Now, I'm, I doubt you've, unless you're just a big uh, basketball fan, you probably haven't heard of LeBradford Smith, but you've heard of Michael Jordan. Well, in this one game, LeBradford Smith got the best of Jordan. He had 37 points. Michael Jordan had 25. Now, as Michael Jordan tells this story, LeBradford Smith came, comes up to Jordan and he says, essentially, good game, Mike. That's what he said. And Michael took that as a slight, like, yeah, you beat me. I did worse than you, and you're saying good game to me. So he took it as a slight. And so he said to some teammate on the plane that I'm going to score as many points as that in, the, in the half as that kid did the whole game. And so he almost did the next game against them. He had 36 points in the first half. The other guy had 37 the whole game. He had 36 the first half. And then he ends up with 47 points. So he did really well. He, he, he went at them, attacked them, beat them, defeated them. The weird part of the story is this, that the slight never actually happened. Michael Jordan had made it up because he knew, and even talked to people about it on his team apparently, he knew that if he were angry, it would give him some sort of power. It would give him some sort of motivation. It, it would give him a certain amount of drive. Anger can make us feel very powerful. And if we're in a situation where we feel like we're out of control, that, that maybe we're not chaotic, but the world is chaotic, and we don't have any control of the things we'd like to have control over, anger can be our response. So think about some of these situations. I already mentioned a mic drop moment. Maybe somebody offends you. And what you would like nothing more than to do would be to give them a piece of your mind. Why? Because they were outside of your control. Now, maybe there's gossip going on about you, that people start to think things about you. And so all those things are out of your control. But one thing that could be in your control is I could lash out against them, give them a piece of my mind, put them in their place. That's what we see on social media. As you scroll and the algorithms know you quite well, and as you're scrolling, you're going to see all sorts of things that will confirm the things that you think already, and it will turn you even more so against a side that you don't agree with. And not just turned against with facts and information, turn against with anger. That can you believe they did this? And there are whole videos on mic drop moments where someone bested the other side. The news that as you watch these shows and they pit one person against another, you're waiting for that gotcha moment. What about though in our personal life? What about the father who is afraid of pressures at work? That you've got stresses, deadlines, maybe a sense of worry that I'm, I'm afraid I actually can't do this or it's more than I can handle or I don't know if I'm performing well enough. And so then that father in turn leashes out his anger on something that is more in his control, often his family, taking it out on his 
wife and kids and in anger and, and having a short temper and, and, and not being the loving, protecting father he should be? What about the wife who's mad at the husband who didn't follow through on something? There's a limited ability or a limited power there to make him do something. And so maybe she lashes out in anger toward him. Gets mad, yells. What about you've had a peer, maybe? Someone who, that you felt like you were pretty equal to and, and they had some sort of success. And instead of, instead of appreciating goodness in someone else's life, we have jealousy toward a peer because we have feelings of inferiority and so in those feelings of inferiority, we lash out at someone else. We tear them down. What about losing a competition? I thought of uh, a job I would most not like to have in the world as being a referee or an umpire. I mean, it's just kind of a no-win situation that one side is going to lose. And so one side is going to be mad because we had things outside of our power if I lost, and therefore it must be someone's fault, or the only thing I can control is lashing out at someone who could have made a difference, someone who could have changed the result. We have limited power in this world, and sometimes we revert to anger to regain a semblance of power. But today we're going to see that there is a better way. So I'm talking today about seven rules for Christians in anger-inducing situations. Seven rules for Christians in anger-inducing situations. So let's look now at James chapter 1. Look at verse 19 with me, please. It said, My dear brothers and sisters, <clears throat> understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, I may not even need to preach that. That's pretty clear. Some Bible verses, they're just like, what in the world does that mean? I think this one's pretty clear. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So I could just stop there. However, you know, I'm supposed to preach for, what was it, 45 minutes, I think. That's when I usually try to hit. But really, as individual, individualistic society, what we want to know is why. We can understand the truth behind these verses, but we want to know why and how. How am I supposed to do this? So why should we listen? That's what he starts off with. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Now, thinking of this in context, it almost doesn't make sense for James to tell his audience to listen. Now, imagine that you're this persecuted Jewish Christian, and in James chapter 5, we see that they are potentially murderers. What is there to listen about? What do I have to listen to. Why, why should I listen? Listen, action is clearly the only way forward. It's the only thing that I should do. So it must mean something else. Because you're not going to just listen to the reason why your murderer is murdering you. That doesn't make any sense. Instead, he's saying, listen to wise counsel. People like him. I had this uh, instance with a coworker once, and uh, I'd become kind of uh, they knew that I was in Bible college and I was working in a government job. And, and so anytime there was a theology discussion, it somehow found its way over to my cubicle. And, and uh, this one, we were actually walking outside. And uh, I didn't even know it, but some people were fighting about a theology perspective. And so I'm walking into this unaware that I'm about to step on a landmine. And so this one individual just asked me, Obi, what's your opinion on this? And poses this controversial subject like oh great I'm so glad we didn't even say hello let's let's just jump right into controversy that's a great idea and so 
I give the first half of my answer, which I didn't know was going to greatly annoy this person, frustrate them, make them really upset and mad at me to the point where they stormed off and walked away. So then I ask the other people, well, hey, what, what's the conversation? They tell me, and I realize that the second half of my answer was going to be exactly what they wanted to hear. But they didn't hear me because they got angry. They stormed off. They walked away. Why should we listen? Point one on your notes is this. Listen to gain wisdom. Listen to gain wisdom. I've put uh, s- several examples before us today. A mic drop moment. A father who's afraid at the pressures of work, so he lashes out. A wife who's mad at her husband. Jealous peer relationships. Maybe it's sibling rivalry. Maybe it's some sort of competition, and and you you just hate the competition, so you lash out in embarrassment, things like that. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what makes you angry, even if it is this morning. I don't know what caused you to be angry, but I do know it is godly to seek counsel. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. You see, in this context, when you have Jewish Christians who are scattered and persecuted and violence is being done against them, if you were just to say, what kind of advice would you give them? It may be run, hide, do something like that. Pretend. Maybe someone would say, pretend you're not a Christian so they don't know, be a secret Christian. Of course, we would never say that. But that might be the advice you'd get from someone. But he says, be quick to listen. Even in the most dire of circumstances, listen. Pause. Pause and and hear other people out. Because then he says next, be slow to speak. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. So why should we be slow to speak? Well, the second note or point on your notes is this, be slow to speak to avoid sin. I've had a, it's probably a great number of times, I'm going to say it's at least one or two, number of times as a, a dad where I didn't listen well. I wonder if you've had that where you feel like you know your kids so well and so they're coming to you with something. You feel like in the first few words you already have it diagnosed. You know the problem. I, don't, don't hit your sister. Don't say that to your brother, right? It, you, you feel like you know it. But then there's the occasional time that you don't have it right. You don't have all the facts sorted out. And so maybe you even react in a little bit of anger and then you find out that you didn't have all the details. And the details were important. As a dad, there's been a number of times that I've had to eat my words and apologize. But if they had been words in true anger, which is what this is talking about, this everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. If they had been words in true anger, imagine how devastating they could have been. Maybe there's someone here today that has experienced that with a family member or a friend, that there was a moment where where something was happening and you spoke out in anger and destructiveness happened to that relationship. Why should we be slow to speak? Be slow to speak to avoid sin. Proverbs ten nineteen says this, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. We live in a society that would have you just say whatever's on your mind. Anybody can have a microphone. You could start a YouTube channel today, and you could have I don't, one follower. Maybe your mom would follow you, but 
But what's scary is sometimes people with no sense go viral. You could, you could become a, a famous YouTuber. In fact, if you did a poll among young, uh, young adults and high schoolers and, and even down to junior high and elementary, if you ask them, what is your dream career, there is a large percentage that now say a YouTuber. Because everyone wants to be quick to speak. We're quick to speak. We're not quick to listen. The Bible says the opposite. It says everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, this doesn't mean that in a situation you can never stand up for yourself. That's not what it's talking about. It's, ne- it's not saying to the husband and wife who are having problems. It's not saying don't sort out your problems. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about hasty speech in anger that I speak before I think, I speak before I listen, I speak before I gather all the information, I speak out and in anger, and because of that I sin. Be slow to speak to avoid sin. Where there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. And then the third note, point in your note is this, be slow to speak to protect yourself. And you can add on there, and others. But this Proverbs 13, 3 really talks about your own ruin. It says, the one who guards his mouth protects his own life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. I wonder if you've ever observed that, that someone just can't seem to keep their mouth shut and they're bringing destructiveness on themselves. And it's easy to see in other people, but it is difficult to see in us. And maybe we don't think we're ruining our life, but, but maybe it's our harsh words that are tearing apart a family. That their words, instead of kindness, instead of building someone up, they're tearing someone down. Or maybe it's even within a church body or a classroom that we just have short, flippant words or we're condescending or something like that. And we're not quick to listen and we're not slow to speak. We say whatever comes to our mind and we think that's just the way I am. I have no filter and that's, that's how I am. And God did not save you to leave you as you are. He saved you to transform you. And he wants to be the Lord of your ears and your tongue. Be slow to speak to protect yourself. But then it goes on, it says, and slow to anger. So my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why should we avoid anger? Be slow to anger as a discipline. Be slow to anger as a discipline. Sometimes we think because we have an emotion, a feeling, that we no longer have a choice. That if I feel this way, I have to act this way. We've seen it in many things like, like with lust, with sexual attraction. We see it in all sorts of ways or with, with just, I want to eat more food or, or I want to lash out at somebody. We've gotten this wrong idea That if I feel something, I just have to do something. That we're almost like animals that act only on instinct. That there's no discipline, no self-will, no choice. But God's word says the opposite. Do you hear what this says? It says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It doesn't say, be those things if you feel those things. It doesn't say, or you should should, uh, be those things if you're someone who that comes naturally to. If you're a person who says, well, I don't have any patience, okay, well, you should pursue patience because God's word would have you do that, or, or I, I can't forgive them. Well, you should try because God's word asks you to. Everyone, not the people who are gifted with 
slow to, quick to listen, so to speak, slow to anger. Everyone should be quick to listen, so to speak, and so to anger. Be slow to anger as a discipline, as a choice. That doesn't mean you won't have the emotion. It means you act differently with the emotion. If you have some sort of sexual desire that is outside God's prescription, it doesn't mean that when you choose to, to live a holy life, it doesn't mean desires go away. It means you've made a choice in the face of unholy desires. Just like anyone who's ever dis disciplined themselves to live a healthier life physically, that, that maybe they have to exercise when they don't want to, or they have to eat foods that they don't want to, or abstain from foods they want to eat. Discipline is a good thing. The word temperance is something that is not in our vocabulary anymore, but it is still a great word. We have to self-control. We do it for the Lord, not, not to be saved. Don't, don't hear me wrong in this. I'm not saying that, that if you do these things, then now all of a sudden you'll have salvation. I'm saying if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is what he calls you to. So if you are already saved, this is the life he wants from you and for you to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Listen to gain wisdom. Be slow to speak to avoid sin. Be slow to speak to protect yourself. Be slow to anger as a discipline. Colossians 3.8 says this, But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Again, it doesn't say try it and see if it sticks. It doesn't say if, if you just aren't that personality, then don't worry about it. For the rest of the people who are that personality, you do it. It just tells us as a command. It is an imperative, a moral imperative, telling us this is how Christians should live. So why should we avoid anger? Be slow to anger as a discipline. And the next one is be slow to anger to cause peace. Sometimes we forget that the call of Jesus all the way back from the Sermon on the Mount is for Christians, for followers of him, to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That's quite different than someone who goes around and drama follows that person. That if drama follows that person, then after a while, it's that person that is causing these things. I'm not saying no one else has any, any implication. I'm saying that if you go everywhere and drama is always around you, then after a while, you have to at least admit you are an ingredient in the problem. I, had a, I was playing basketball one time, and I was leading this kind of pickup, church pickup league. And there's this kid that um, he didn't have a lot of wisdom. And there's this, this other guy who is older, more mature, just a super athlete. The kid without wisdom, he was not much of an athlete. This other guy, super athlete, just physical specimen. I mean, he could just do things that uh, probably could go pro in sports, at least division one. Well, these two were kind of guarding each other at one point in the game, and the kid who did not have as much wisdom got mad, picked the ball up, and threw it at the other guy. Now, I'm thinking a couple things at this time. One, I'm in charge, so I have to break them up. Won't be the first time that I have to try to separate people on basketball court. For some reason, everybody thinks they're going to go pro when you play pickup ball. And it's just like, no, you're not. So just calm down. It's not that serious. Just get some exercise. Don't get hurt. So I'm thinking that. Two, I'm thinking, what's this guy thinking? He could absolutely annihilate you. Why are you throwing a ball at this guy who is just this physical specimen that could just tear you apart if he wanted to? But the really cool thing that happened was this guy didn't respond. And I talked to him afterward, and what he said to me just spoke so much grace that he knew that, hey, this guy, if, 
he, he did not have a lot of wisdom. He says, you can tell that. You know, that's not what I'm about. That's not the type of man I want to be. And I just got to see this guy who had all the power, all the power for someone weaker than him and could have had every right to defend himself by human standards, but instead he stayed his hand. He showed restraint against the impulse of anger. He caused peace. Be slow to anger to cause peace. Do you see yourself as that in your home, as a peace causer? Or are you frustrated because things have happened? You've had injustices. You've had just comments and snarky remarks or, or unmet expectations. And so, so instead of being a peace causer, you're a chaos causer. You're a drama causer. You've got difficulties in your life and your home feels like it's imploding and you're waiting for someone else to fix it. And God is calling you to be an ingredient in the solution by being a peacemaker, by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Proverbs 29, 22 says this, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered one increases rebellion. If you think that by using your anger by continually lashing out at the people in your life, you're going to have more peace or get the results you want. You're not. You may end up with people who are afraid of you and subjugated to you, but I'm telling you, that's not peace. God calls you to a life of peace. So then that leads us to this question then. Does that mean that all anger is sin? Is all anger sin? Well, first, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So there is, there is a reality that we are emotional beings. And so just like you can't help it if you have an initial desire for something unholy or, or, or something in your heart that initially crops up, you can't always help the initial impulse. What you can help is what you do with it. See, what you could do with it is you could act out on it. So if you're angry, you could lash out at someone. Or you could harbor it never forgiving, never letting go, never taking it to God. And so you could harbor it, and that sort of resentment festers in your heart. And, and one day it explodes, or it just deteriorates whatever relationship you're in. But you can be angry and not sin. You could have anger in your life, an impulse of it, but then handle it in a healthy way through respectfully talking out problems, through forgiving, through focusing on the good things, the pleasing things, the, the things of God. And then also there is God. He has righteous anger. Now, it is technically possible for Christians to have righteous anger about things, but what I would say is it is a thin line that we walk. It involves proper motives, proper focus, proper response, all sorts of things. So it's a difficult thing. I'm, I'm saying it exists, but, but it's a difficult thing to do. And so it's best to forgive and be cautious, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So then what does hasty, angry speech accomplish? Look at verse 20. It starts off with one of my favorite words, the word for. I point this out a lot. It's the Greek word guard. It means I say this because. Here's why that's significant. It's because verse 19, he makes a statement. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then verse 20 says for. Or I say this because, meaning I just told you to do all those things, and here's the reason why. So verse 20 says this, For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. 
What does hasty, angry speech accomplish? It's not God's righteousness. It's a semblance of power that we feel powerful in a moment. In fact, as you think of God being all-powerful and us being made in His image and us having dominion over the earth, there is a reasonable reason why sometimes we want control of things. God wants us to organize things and build things and be fruitful and multiply. There are things God has for us to do. And when something goes chaotic and we're faced with our limited ability as a human then instead of responding in a godly way, anger rises up. Frustration rises up. Instead of casting those things onto God, who is able to shoulder them, I try to take those things onto me, and I try to have the power. I try to have that semblance of power. But what if, instead of mic drop moments or winning a fight, instead of a rational discussion, what if instead of those things, what if we sought God's righteousness? Point seven in your notes is this, seek God's righteousness. Now that's a vague statement because he's not talking necessarily about seek his righteousness, meaning the salvation of others, although sure, seek that as well. But as you go about, as you act, imagine the thing that you were angry about last, the thing that made you angry last, and, and that instance when you lashed out at somebody, what were you seeking? Justice for yourself, the regaining of power for yourself, all sorts of things you were seeking to put someone in their place for yourself. There's all sorts of things that we could seek but what God wants us to seek is his righteousness. Now imagine that situation again. And if you said, how could I accomplish God's righteousness in this situation? Maybe it's a, a boss that is too hard on you and you just think, how could I accomplish God's righteousness in this situation? Maybe I'll handle the stresses differently and they will see that there is something different about me because I'll show grace when others would have lashed out. Seek God's righteousness. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24 says this, For you were called to this. Let's talk about living a sacrificial Christian life. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Your very faith rests on this premise that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. And though there were, there were no sins in him, and he was unjustly accused and beaten, a crown of thorns put on his hand, head and nails driven through his hands and feet. He was unjust. He was insulted. He could have lashed out. He was beaten. He could have threatened. Your very faith, if you're a Christian today, is started on the premise of a God who could have been angry and showed love instead. Now, I'm not saying that you could never defend yourself. There's a time for peace, a time for war. Book of Ecclesiastes talk about that. What I am talking about today is what I believe James is talking about when we just want to lash out in anger, God would have us pause, be quick to listen, 
slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because the goal is to accomplish God's righteousness. Not your justice, not mine. Not your revenge, not mine. Not, not correcting all the things that I think are wrong and I want to make the world in my image or my family in my image or my church in my image. Not mine, but God's. So what do you do with this? There may be a person here today who is not a Christian and you have put your life on all sorts of other things and maybe you're at a point of anger and frustration. That maybe you just walk around angry. That, that you're frustrated with life and it feels meaningless and pointless. And what I want you to know is that God wants you to be liberated from your anger. Not that you'll never struggle with it, but that you'll know a better way, which is to live for Jesus Christ. And Scripture is very clear about that, how you can do that. That you confess your sins to Him and put your trust in His death, burial, and resurrection to save you from those sins, making Him the Lord of your life. Today could be the day where you are liberated from your sins. What I would have you do is, in a moment when the musicians come up, we're going to have these tables to the side and pastors will be at those tables, and I would love for you to come to talk to them and ask, how could I be saved? And now to the Christian. Christians, we look like the world sometimes. Sometimes we feel like the things that God redeemed us from are okay in our life. That we don't have to control our temper or our tongue. We don't have to listen because we're mad. And it feels good and it feels like a semblance of power to be mad. What I would say and what Scripture says today is God calls you to a different way. He calls you to a life of patience, of chastening your tongue, of grace and forgiveness and love. Let's pray.